We are going to begin this morning by looking at a psalm. Psalm 100 is our passage. And the psalms are important for us. Psalms are important because they are in many ways, we could call them the inspired set list of God's people. Every one of the psalms, all 150 of them, were written to be sung. And the psalms capture every type of situation and circumstance that the people of God would experience. The psalms are utterly realistic. But while the psalms have truth and content that we must believe and get in our heads, more than anything, the psalms are designed, like any good song, to shape us. You know the power of music, don't you? When you're driving down the highway and a certain song comes on that's your favorite, maybe it reminds you of high school or college or maybe when your children were little, it changes you, it shapes you. You start tapping the steering wheel. Maybe you open your sunroof, you start singing a little bit, you feel a little confident. The people next to you at the stoplight get a little bit worried. Because songs have power to shape us. The Psalms, God's holy inspired set list, have that same power as well. As image bearers of God, songs shape us and challenge us. And they shape us and challenge us because they show a picture of every kind of circumstance that the people of God, a person who's following God, might experience. Distress, anxiety, depression, being overwhelmed. And even in the midst of those moments, we see God's faithfulness, His care, His love for us. So this morning, as we open God's Word, what are you bringing to the table? You know, none of us come into this room neutral. All of us are coming in with maybe regrets from last week. Excitement and joy about the future. Maybe this morning you don't feel any hope at all, and that's why you're here, is you need to hear a voice from the outside. The Psalms, friends, are exactly what we need. So, with that in mind, I'm going to read Psalm 100 for us this morning. Becoming a people of thanks, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Will you pray with me as we begin? Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you would send your spirit to empower me to preach as a dying man to men and women that are dying as well. Let the urgency and the reality of God and His glory impress upon our hearts and our lives our desperate need for the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine this scene standing with your eyes closed and hearing waves crash against rocks, against a mountain. Beautiful, cool weather in the middle of summer. Breezy. You're not even sweating. It just feels so great. We don't know what that's like in Athens, do we? Looking around you and seeing beautiful green grass, 
And then looking off in the distance and seeing the remains of an ancient medieval castle perched right at the edge of this mountain. I had the privilege, my wife and I had the privilege of experiencing this exact scene. We were in Scotland a couple of summers ago. And there's this beautiful castle, the the Donater Castle, perched on the edge just uh, south of Aberdeen, Scotland. And this castle was legendary. Uh, You you might remember William Wallace. William Wallace and his brave men uh, decided to take over the castle from the British. And they climbed and they scaled the outside sea wall trying to go over the top of the castle to take it back over. So much history, so much beauty. You could hear the seagulls chirping in the distance. And I had the privilege to be in this ancient castle to stand before some of my RUF students who had come to faith in Christ through RUF and now being joined together in marriage and their parents who, and their family around them who were not sure where they all are spiritually and getting a chance to preach the gospel in this surreal, amazing situation. We had been given so much. Would you agree? They flew us over to Scotland to do a wedding in a castle. Did you catch that? They paid for it. And Elizabeth and I had such a great time and watched movies on the plane on the way over there. and had, It was wonderful. So we're just going to the Edinburgh airport to fly back to, to Atlanta having these conversations, we get on our plane and we sit down and suddenly all of those memories and all that enjoyment, all the the last three or four days of God's unbelievable generosity to us that cost us nothing, just from His hand, suddenly my face changes. I start looking around, I start tapping my feet and I start poking Elizabeth. I was like, Elizabeth, where are the TV screens? When we flew over here, we had our own private TV screens. And I had my own Netflix and I could watch whatever movies I want. Where is my TV screen? And then as the flight takes off, they drop this gigantic screen. And all of us have to watch the same movie. And for hours, I'm just sitting there with my arms crossed. And I'll be honest with you, I was grumbling. I was complaining. I was ready to to send in a, a complaint to Delta Airlines and tell them how they need to do business. I had completely lost sight of the last four or five days of God's generosity and kindness. Grumbling and complaining is a reality for this guy. It is a struggle for me, me, even in the face of God's kindness. I say, yeah, but where's my personal TV screen? Can you relate to that? I have a suspicion this morning that I'm not the only one in this room that struggles with that. That you look at your family, you look at your marriage, you look at your church, you look at your job, and you say, this is great, but I really need this. Isn't it helpful to know that places like Psalm 100 are written for people like us? Because grumbling and complaining is such a challenge and such a problem for us. The people of God, remember, were wandering wandering around in the wilderness, and God had provided manna from heaven from them, and they're like, you know what? I really would like to have some quail. I'm getting kind of sick of bread. We're no different, right? We need Psalm 100 this morning to help us be a people whose lives ring out with praise. 
We typically think about Psalm 100 as one of those songs that remind us of why we come to corporate worship. And it is talking about that. But the whole point of corporate worship, what we're doing this morning, is that we would leave this building and have a week that is characterized by praise and worship in all that we're doing, in our jobs and taking care of our kids, in every sphere of influence. So what will it look like for us to be a people whose lives ring out with praise and thankfulness and gratitude? Psalm 100 will help us see that. I want us first to look and I want you to see the call of thanks. What is the call of thanks? Well, we see lots and lots of commands and imperatives in this psalm. which we, So we need to really pay attention to this. As the people of God... Commandments are not an option. Commandments are not those places where God says, when you get around to it, when it's convenient for your schedule, do this. No, commandments are things where God is saying, because you are my people, this is what I want you to do. That a life of thanks begins with a call, a call to thanks. What are these imperatives that we see? Look at verses 1 to 2. They're littered throughout the passage. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord. Come into His presence. Enter His gates. Give thanks. Bless His name. It's not an option. It's a command. In fact, the Scriptures are full of the command of thanks. I just did a, a brief search and I'll, I'll read these to you. Colossians 1.12 Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. 1 Chronicles 16, 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Psalm 106, 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 138, 1. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing you praise. Sing your praise. Psalm 75, 1. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. New Testament, Romans 14, 6. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Lastly, Ezra chapter 3 verse 11. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. It is all over the scriptures. What's the point of this? Might I push on all of us this morning and say... An ungrateful, grumbling, complaining Christian is a contradiction in terms. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, to be one that has been reached, is to be a people whose lives ring out with thankfulness and gratitude. And not say, what do I not have from you, God? But what do I have? What have I received? Just like I had done nothing to receive this amazing holiday, this amazing trip to Scotland. They paid all of my expenses. How in the world did I have the right to grumble and complain about not having my own personal TV screen? We do the same thing. So the call to thank is important for us to see. I love what G.K. Chesterton says about the importance of gratitude. The brilliant Catholic thinker, he says this. It's on the cover of your bulletin. When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. This is why we need to see The call of thanks. So if this is our call, if all of us are in here this morning because we want more of the Lord, we want to honor Him more and more throughout the week, what are the other callings for you this morning and for me that are drowning out this calling? Because all of us are responding to a calling, right? 
What are those other callings that are drowning out the call of thanks? What keeps us from a life of thanks? Maybe is it an entitled heart? Where you believe that you are entitled to having certain amount of free time in your schedule or flexibility or to be able to do certain things with your kids or whatever it is. Where do you have entitlements that you put before God? Perhaps we have unmet expectations. Where are those unmet expectations that we put before God? My life is not, playing, is not turning out the way that I expected it, God. I demand you to do this. Whoa. Suddenly, thanks is gone. Suddenly, gratitude is out of the picture, isn't it? Demanding things from God. Where are we grumbling? Where are we desiring what God has actually given to other people? Maybe in a room like this, I have to admit, sometimes I walk into this room and there's so much talent, there's so much giftedness, there's so much just amazing gifts. I'll look at people and I'm, and I'm like, they figured it out. And I can compare myself. And I can look at what other people have and say, God, why haven't you given me that? Can you relate to that? Those things will kill gratitude and thanks before it even starts. So we need to begin by seeing a call to thanks, and it's real. But we have no power to drum up thanks. If we only had commandments in the scriptures, Jesus would have never had to come. So we need more than just a call to thanks. We need to also move and see the core of thanks. So secondly, look at Psalm 100 and let's investigate the core of thanks. What is the core of thanks? Put very simply, it is savoring God's character. Savoring God's character. What does it mean to savor? When we were living in San Antonio, we had this amazing grocery store that had really, really excellent wine and chocolate and special appetizers. And it was a really, really great place. And for special occasions, Elizabeth loved this really awesome chocolate. And I would buy her one bar of chocolate. And it was very rich and very dark, and she loved it. And I would watch her take that bar of chocolate that was no, you know, you know, not, a, not a very large amount at all, and she would take the smallest little bit and put it on her mouth and close her eyes and savor every little bite. It took her like two weeks to eat one chocolate bar. But what an appropriate picture of what God wants us to do about His character, His identity, who He is, that we would savor all of who God is. Well, how is God described? How is His character described in Psalm 100? Let's take a look at it. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. Thanks begins with knowing our place. And I'm not trying to insult anyone's intelligence here. But I think this is a real hurdle for us. We are not God. Your life, my life, is not ours. Our life is the Lord's. The people of God in the Old Testament need to be reminded of that, don't we? The world does not revolve around Justin's likes and dislikes and preferences and and things going according to my schedule. The world does not revolve around you and your family, friends. The world does not revolve around all of your likes and dislikes and preferences being satiated in Redeemer. You're never going to find the perfect church. You're never going to find the perfect family. You're never going to find the perfect job that revolves around everything that you want. We have to begin by seeing God is the one where our life must revolve. Whose glory are we talking about? I think this is actually very freeing for us. 
Because it means that throughout our day, when many of us struggle with anxiety, or maybe some of you here struggle with depression, and it feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, isn't it freeing to know that God is not asking you to bear that burden? He is not asking you to bear the weight of the world. We are not God. What else do we see? What other aspects of God's character does He want us to savor so that we might become a people of thanks? Verse 3, He made us. He's our Creator. If He's the Creator, it means he's our, he's, we are His workmanship. We are His trophies of grace. The same God that spoke the world into existence by the word of His power spoke life into us and rescued us when we are dead. We are His children. That means that if you have children, your children are His. If you have money, that means your money is His. If you have time, that means, college students, your time is His. Everything is His. He is our Creator. Verse 3, He's also our sustainer. Notice how He's described. He is our shepherd. Kind of reminds us a little bit of Psalm 23. That passage that is really focusing on, on the Lord being our shepherd. He's not some distant, aloof God. But He is with His sheep. He cares for us. He nourishes us. He provides for us. He protects us. He leads us. He sustains us. I think what's amazing about the notion of God being our sustainer and the picture of worshiping a God who is our shepherd is when we think about Jesus, who in John 10 is described as the good shepherd... We think about the life of Jesus and all that he experienced. You know, he he experienced abandonment by friends. He experienced loneliness. He was totally God, fully divine. We believe that. But we also believe that he didn't appear to be a man. That's a heresy called docetism. No, he actually was a man. Fully God and fully man. And that means that he had emotions. He had feelings. He knew what it was like to be tempted sexually. He knew what it was like to be alone. He knew what it was like to be single. Isn't that amazing that we we worship a God that understands what we're going through? That's how close the shepherd is with his sheep. Where unlike us, when we're faced with these temptations and we're, we're faced with these lies, he does not bend. He does not break. Whatever you're going through this morning, whatever is weighing you down, know that we worship a Savior who understands, who is our good shepherd I also want you to look at verse 5. Not only, is he a, no, not only is he our shepherd and our creator, he is also good. God is full of generosity. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that if you follow Jesus, that you're going to have easy circumstances. And let me apologize in advance if someone's ever told you that. If you follow Jesus, your marriage is going to improve. If you follow Jesus, your life is going to be great. If you follow Jesus, you're going to have the life of your dreams. That is a lie. If anything, Jesus says, if you become my follower, you will suffer as I have suffered. Now, none of us will have to suffer and bear the weight of of, of sin and death and the wrath of God like Jesus had. But he says, if you become my follower, there will be suffering. And many of you in this room, as I look at her, you know what that's like. You know about that suffering. And you know how precious and how wonderful it's been to know that you have a God who is good that you can count on even in the midst of that. And even as I say this, I really think that one of our great temptations and struggles is we forget about the goodness of God. We forget about His character. 
Remember in Matthew 7, um, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives one of my favorite um, parallels or, 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 or pictures. He says, okay, hey fathers, if those of you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, like if a child asks for an egg, you're not going to give them a serpent that's going to bite them. You know that intuitively as a father. How much more does your heavenly father know what you need? How much more can he provide for you? That has been such an encouragement to me. But don't we forget about the goodness of God? Don't we forget about his commitment? Not only do we see and need to savor his character of his goodness and being our shepherd and our creator, he is also characterized by the one who has steadfast love that endures. This is verse 5. Um, steadfast love, while that's the English translation, in the Hebrew it's actually just one word. It's the Hebrew word that's pronounced hesed. That it's the specific phrase that the Bible describes to call the unfailing, unstopping, unwavering commitment that God has toward His people. The pledge and the promise that he will never, ever break. When, we're, when we say covenant, that's what we mean. Is that when God says, I'm going to put my affections on you and toward my people, I will not lose one of them. I will bring them to the end. His steadfast love endures. R.C. Sproul, the, the thoughtful theologian, says this. And this guy knows his stuff. There may be no more significant Old Testament description of how God relates to His people than this one Hebrew word, hesed. I think we need to pay attention to that, don't you? One word, God's covenant faithfulness, the true source of thanks, can only be found in His enduring character, His love, His loyalty. Everything has to start with His commitment and His faithfulness to us. I read recently an article that was in, uh, and in the article they were having an interview with Sally Lloyd-Jones who wrote the book, maybe you've heard of it, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the lady that was interviewing Sally Lloyd-Jones simply asked the question, why did you write this book? And I love her response. She says, I wrote this book so that children could know that God is for them, that he loves them. With a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Perhaps children, friends, aren't the only one this morning that need to be reminded of that same truth. No matter how much you are feeling shame and guilt, no matter this morning if your heart is cold to Him and you frankly don't even know why you're here, I want you to imagine this picture that we believe as Christians that God's love for His people is not conditioned upon whether you have good days and bad days. It is completely conditioned upon He, he desires to form His glory in you. He has chosen to put His affection onto His people. God's glory. That unbreaking, always and forever love. See, hesed is an amazing vow. It's a covenant vow where God pledges to always be for His people. 
But he pledges that his grace never runs out. Do you need to be reminded of that this morning in your marriage? Do you need to be reminded of that when you look at your children and you're like, I don't know how to parent my kids? Do you need to be reminded of that when you feel like your habitual indwelling sin and temptation is swallowing you up and you feel so much shame? Do you need to be reminded of that when you don't know how you're going to pay your bills? Our greatest need is to see God and His covenant faithfulness to His people. What if God knew all of our thoughts, all of our judgmental attitudes, and we have them, all of our elitist mentalities and all of our self-absorption, our enslavement to our feelings and the opinions of others, all of our self-promotion and vengeful anger, our backstabbing, our skin-saving gossip, and even our laziness, And he says, I know all of that about you. And I know other stuff that you're not even aware of. And I still want you. That is hesed, my friends. That is the covenant faithfulness of God. That his steadfast love will endure forever. Now some of you might agree with the idea of hesed. But have you really tasted it for yourself? Or you, I mean, maybe you can explain it. Maybe you can teach it to the children in the Sunday school class. Maybe you... Maybe you can explain it clearly, but have you tasted the sweetness of knowing that you have received God's mercy when you know that you deserve to receive judgment? Friends, have you tasted that this morning? Have you bolted His mercy, His goodness, His provision down into your heart, down to the places of your desires and your longings? See, a life of thanks, a life of gratitude will always elude us It'll be so slippery unless we look outside of ourselves, outside of our circumstances, outside of our feelings, to the one whose steadfast love endures. Where are you looking to drum up gratitude and thanks this morning? Are you savoring God's character, slowing down to chew on how God describes himself? Do you want thanks and gratitude more and more in your life? Friends, have you slowed down enough? Do you have enough margins in your schedule to actually reflect and meditate? Or are you going from meeting to meeting and you're serving and you're doing all this great stuff, but you're not reflecting and savoring and chewing on the kindness and the faithfulness of the Lord? What might happen when our hearts get a hold of this hesed and His kindness? That's leading to our third point, which is the consequence of thanks. We've talked about the call of thanks. We've talked about the core of thanks. And then thirdly, I want you to see the consequence of thanks. Look at verse 1. Here's the consequence of thanks. Joy and gladness. Do you want that in your life? Friends, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning with a friend, don't you want that? Don't you want that to be true? Even if you don't even buy the Bible, you don't even buy Jesus... Don't you want to have joy and gladness that is unwavering? That is something beyond just the next band that you're going to see downtown or the next nice meal at 5 and 10 or the next promotion you're going to get in your life? Don't you want a joy and a gladness that's deeper and more rooted and more profound? I want that. That is the fruit. That is the consequence of when we get outside of ourselves and savor God and His character. Notice that we're not just making a noise to God. It says in verse 1, make a joyful noise. 
Make a noise full of joy with a heart that's fully engaged because we know what we truly deserve and we know what God has give us, given us instead. He has given us mercy. He has given us kindness. He has given us His grace. He has given us Himself. Paul Tripp writes, he's a, an author and a counselor, he writes this, when the Word of God, faithfully taught by the people of God and empowered by the Spirit of God, falls down... People become different. Lusting people become pure. Fearful people become courageous. Thieves become givers. Demanding people become servants. Angry people become peacemakers. Complainers become thankful. And idolaters come to joyfully worship the one true God. Let's think about what this might look like practically and tangibly on the ground in our lives. Here's a few areas that I think this really changes us. It changes how we commune with God. It changes how we connect with Him. When God's character begins to change us, God actually becomes someone that you can trust with all of the the things that you've been trying to hide your whole life. You actually begin to believe that He loves you, that He really does. You begin to understand that the Lord's Prayer begins with, my Father, our Father. Changes your communion. You don't avoid Him and fear Him in a way that's inappropriate, but you have a godly fear, a godly awe, a godly worship, and a desire to come toward Him. It also changes not only our communion with God, it changes how we view other Christians. We actually begin to understand that to be a Christian is to care for other people. Because Jesus has given His life as a ransom for us who do not deserve it. We begin to have eyes for the people around us and say, what can I do to encourage that person? How can I help that person? Instead of saying, what's in it for me? But but we become people who are looking around us and saying, how can I help? We might even have direct conversations with some of our friends, maybe in community group in our neighborhood. We start asking questions like, hey friend, I notice you're kind of grumbling and complaining about your children. Have you forgotten the gospel? Where's your gratitude? Where's your thankfulness? How can I help you? But I think some of us fear to wade into those kind of conversations because it's going to be awkward or inappropriate when that's the very thing that the church is to be about. So thanks begins to change not only our communion with God, but it changes how we view other Christians. It also changes how we view non-Christians as well. We begin to see those people that we see downtown that are different than us, that have different understandings of economics or maybe even sexuality or theology. And we begin to see them not as those people who don't have it right, but we actually begin to see them with eyes of mercy and say, I'm no better than you. I need Jesus Christ. And so do you. Begin to see people around us differently. You know, I think it begins to make us really patient with people who don't believe what what we're believing. We're, We're in relationship. We're hanging with them for a long time because we understand God has had that hesed covenant faithfulness with us. Amen? It also... Lastly, changes how we view ourselves. For those of us that at times struggle with hope, and all we see are the circumstances around us, and we're like, God, what are you doing? I think it begins to change the fact that we begin to see that God has a story that he is weaving together, and it is a story of hope because Jesus did not stay dead in that tomb. He was raised from the dead. We rose with him. The power of the resurrection is alive and well for us as his body. That there's power to fight against temptation 
There's power to fight against discouragement and suffering and even grieving loss because Jesus is alive. It changes how we view ourselves, doesn't it? I love what Skip Ryan, the PCA pastor, says about this idea of the self and our concept and confidence. He says this, What people think of me is none of my business. What I think people think of me will kill me. The only thing that matters is what Jesus thinks of me. And when that begins to be bolted down into our heart, into our lives, into our family, into our marriages, into this church, into our youth group, into our RUF group, into our men's ministry or women's ministry, we begin daily to move toward being a people of thanks. See, our lives are our thank you present to the Lord, showing our love for Him. Here are my hands, here are my feet, here's my mind, here's my wallet, here are my words, they are all for you, Lord. My question for you, by way of application is this. One question. Is Jesus secure enough to handle all of you? Is He secure enough to handle your insecurities, your fears, your funks, your temper tantrums, your shame, and even your unmet expectations? I believe He is. Whatever you're bringing in this morning, will you repent? Bring it all unto Him. And savor his character and his faithfulness to people that do not deserve it. Let's pray.